know, uh, many of you know my background or story, at least you know some of it. Um, others of you don't, or maybe you know just a little tiny bit of it. But, um, and I just want to say ahead of time, if these lights freak out again, um, then, then you're going to lose me. I'm going to turn into a dark abyss up here. But let's, uh, let's, let's decide ahead of time that we're not going to let technology beat the Word of God this morning, okay? Just so that, say that. But part of my story, I, I, I'm, I'm really deeply grateful um, that I got to grow up in the family that I grew up in. Um, I have two sisters, one who's eight years older than me, and me, and then my little sister. And two amazing parents, um, both believers. Um, they both modeled and invested a faith in us and took us to church even when we didn't want to go. And while at the time I may not have liked it, I am deeply grateful now for the discipline that they have kind of ingrained into me. My parents um, just celebrated their 58th year of, 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 of marriage, which is awesome. I mean, just, I'm, and I realize not everybody has, has that kind of foundation. And I, I, I thoroughly believe to whom much is given, much is required. So I, you know, I may start at a different place and God expects a return on that. Um, but you know, my, my, the story of my father, while he is an amazing man, Christian man, and, and committed to my mom for 58 years, um, and to us kids, um, he didn't have the same kind of upbringing that I did. Uh, he, 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 when he was born, his, his two parents, um, his, my grandparents, divorced shortly after. He was just an infant. And um, his mother, either by choice or out of necessity, decided she did not want my father or couldn't raise my father. So at the age of two, my father was shipped off to his, his grandmother's house. And uh, just a couple years ago, I asked him, you know, one of the things I regret is that I haven't taken the time to really get to know my parents the way I should. And I asked him the question. I said, Dad, how, how did it feel? Like, looking back now, how did it feel? How did it form your life to know that your, 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 your mom launched you into some other home at the age of two? And he said to me, he says, I, for the longest time, I just felt like she didn't want me. Right? That, that's how my dad started off life, in a broken home, feeling unwanted raised by his grandmother, and the conditions weren't, weren't great. And yet, in a, and there's so many different ways he could have gone, right? Um, there's people that react to that kind of stuff in very self-destructive ways. But as a teenager, uh, my, my, my dad went to church. He heard this sermon out of Psalm 90, of all things, Psalm 90. It was just a rather dark psalm written by Moses. Um, he heard the gospel, and God opened his heart and changed his, his life. You know, and to where now, you look at 58 years of marriage, that's just an evidence that God changed his heart, right? Just a gracious, merciful act, and just as goes to show God can, can, uh, can heal and, and make whole something that was, was broken. And set him on a very, very different path than he was on. And, uh, but that path wasn't an easy path either, right? As, as any of you know, the following Christ has, doesn't guarantee you're going to have a shiny white outcome or that you're going to be a billionaire. Uh, he put himself through college. A uh, little cheaper back then than it is now. And, um, and met my mom, a beautiful girl from Southern California, L.A., and um, got married, had a kid, and he became a school teacher, taught fifth grade, wheeled into school district. And um, he realized, or it came to the, he, he became convinced that he, he would better serve the public school system in an administration position than as a teacher. So after years and years of teaching, he went on and got a master's in behavioral science from Sac State, and realizing he needed more education, he decided he'd um, apply for a uh, doctor of education at USC, and he got in, and I just remember he was at school all the time, 
right? And this is at a time when there were no computers. There's the typewriter I was sitting on the dining room table just going clackety, 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 clack. I hated that thing, you know? I think he did too. It's like, dang it, where's the whiteout, you know? <laughs> and uh, very, he's this fifth grade school teacher, has a master's and a, and a doctorate. And um, he started applying for positions. He wanted to be a principal of the school. And time after time after time, with all of his education, all of his experience, he was turned down. And most of the time, because the person he was competing against had an inside track, or they were more beautiful than he was. And uh, after years of this, you know, uh, my father stopped applying for positions. And he retired after 36 years just teaching fifth grade. He's the only, only guy I know that's a doctor that taught fifth grade. This is Dr. Deckard. He will be teaching you long division today, right? <laughs> Fifth grade, and uh, and it just seemed to me as a kid, I thought, man, that is totally like you got jacked, Dad. I mean, after years and years and all those dollars that you spent, and and you finished teaching fifth grade, that's it felt unfair. It felt unfair to me as his son, and you know, looking back, I still think kind of got the short end of the stick. And yet, again, this is a Christian man. It's easy when things like that happen, and, and you have your own story, and I, I'm guessing that 90% of us probably feel like maybe we, at some level or in some way, got the short end of the stick, because we don't have it all. It's easy to become jaded or cynical um, or pessimistic. And, and that really was, is, the, is the psalm, right? And uh, again, I, like I said last week, what I love is that the Bible addresses us right where we live. And, 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 and in the wisdom of God, he, 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 he gave us a chapter. It's not the only chapter. Job wrestled with the same thing. Ecclesiastes, in a rather darker way, also reflects on the in, inequities of life and comes to his conclusions. And here's Psalm 73. A great, as I mentioned last week, if you missed it, it's, I think it's online. Um, here's a great man of God, a spiritual giant of his day, a man by the name of Asaph. He was a prophet. He was a writer of scripture. He was a leader of worship in the temple. And and we find that he becomes jaded when he, he looks at the world and, and all the inconsistencies and inequities of, of what he sees. And, uh, and he wrote the psalm to, to, to teach us a lesson about how to come out of that and to avoid that where he has been. And that's Psalm 73. Now, in the first message last week, we looked at the shift. Like He ex- just explains um, how he had almost fallen, almost tripped, uh, because he saw, when he saw the prosperity of the wicked and the arrogant, his heart became envious. So here's this worship leader who finds himself in a place where his heart becomes darkened and jaded. Now in verses 4 through 12, he is going to tell us what he sees. He just, very brief last time, talked about the prosperity of the wicked and the arrogant. But now he talks about what that prosperity looks like. And this is verses, let's see if I can get myself here, uh, together here, verses 4 through 12. Now let me read them with you. Not about a barbecue, by the way. Or they, actually, let me just back up to verse, verse 2. This will put it in flow. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. 
Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their, their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them, back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? This is kind of his conclusion. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. That's what he sees that causes his heart to grow, grow, grow envious. And really with some broad brush strokes, he, he talks about their, like their physical condition and their moral condition, their religious condition, their social condition, and also um, their, their financial condition. And it's, 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 it's rosy. Like the people that he calls arrogant and wicked are the ones who, who, who are living the dream, right? They have everything going on. Um, they get what people who are committed to the Lord and um, seeking or attempting by the grace of God to conform their lives to the statutes and precepts of God's word don't get. And this is what he sees that causes him to, to become jaded. In terms of, and I'm just going to go through this briefly, uh, just, a, just a, if you will, a brief explanation of these verses, just to highlight. And then I want to reflect on it for a moment and draw out some, some lessons about perspective on, on life in this broken world that I, I hope help us um, and keep us from, from forming opinions or expectations that, that are uh, not only are they not biblical, but they're not realistic. Physical condition, it says they're, they're, they're healthy and trouble-free, you know, they're, they're fat. And that, of course, doesn't mean they're obese. That is, they're, they're well-fed and they're, 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 their skin is, is sleek, it's shiny, it looks like it's had oil lay on it. They don't develop wrinkles like the rest of us. Um, it seems as if they don't have the same trouble. So physically, they're just healthy, good people, right? And, and meanwhile, you know, more godly people um, are struggling with pain and disease and so forth. It's just... Have you ever noticed people in Hollywood, they always look better than, right? I, I look at George Clooney, and I, this isn't to imply that George Clooney is a wicked person or an arrogant person. I don't really know the guy. But the guy looks as good as today as he did 20 years ago. I look in the mirror, and like every day I got a new wrinkle around my eye. Or Michelle Pfeiffer is like, man, these people look good, really good. And uh, meanwhile, the rest of us, like, wow, <laughs> those people have it all. You know, they're, and I know people who who abuse themselves and live however they want, you know, they live into their 90s. You know, they smoke three packs a day. They eat a pound of bacon in the morning. They have um, high-octane cocktails every night. They live how they want, and they live into their 90s. Well, what's up with that? Meanwhile, somebody in their 40s, you know, struggles with bad kidneys or worse. <laughs> you look at that and think, that's, that's messed up, right? And that's, he's describing the arrogant and the wicked. He describes their moral condition in this way. It's that they're, they're flagrantly arrogant and abusive. He talks about them wearing their pride like a necklace. In other words, they're not, they're not ashamed of it. They're proud to be proud. They're proud to be cocky. They're proud to be arrogant. Or they wear oppression and violence like a garment, like, like a suit. They're not ashamed to be violent or hostile or to use cutthroat tactics in life or business to get ahead of the next guy. That is, these are just downright prideful, non-humble, loveless, compassionless people. And these are the ones living the dream, right? These are godless people. So they are morally bankrupt. 
Not only so, he goes on and talks about the religious condition. It's that These are the, the God scoffers. They're the ones who speak against, this is verses 9 and 11. They speak against heaven. They speak against the domain of the Almighty. And their tongue struts through the earth. That's, that's a pretty good word picture, isn't it? Tongue strutting through the earth. And they ask the question, does the Most High have knowledge? Does, if there is a God, does he really know what's going on in my life, and he doesn't even care. The idea being, there's no fear of God whatsoever. So they're religionless people that are living the dream, or the uh, social condition. Uh, verse 10 tells us that the people around them turn to the ones who are living the dream, and they can't find any fault. They have a fan club. They have a gathering. They have influence. People praise them. And that's hard to stomach when you know a mean and a nasty and crooked person is getting praise and acclaim. You might feel a little bit that way in this election season. I don't know. No more comment on that. And then the financial condition. Again, he concludes, verse 12. Like, they have the easy life, and yet they're rich and wealthy. You kind of get the picture, right? You put all these things together. They got it all going on. The rest of us don't. He's looking at that. They have all of this. They have good health. They have good wealth. They have good prosperity. Look at all this. And they don't even love the Lord. Whereas, I'm speaking for Asaph, you know, my life is centered on the Lord. My life is centered on the worship of Yahweh. I seek to conform my life to the standards and precepts of his word. And look what, look what I got. It's a huge disparity. That's the implication between those who are living the dream, who are godless, and the man of God who realizes that he at least feels like he got the short end of the stick. And the temptation in that is, listen, if I can live however I wish without impunity and I can have that stuff, why not do it? That's the idea of the envy that he confesses in verse 3. So there you have just kind of a, like what he sees. That's, that's his observation about the world, and I think it's a Correct observation. Job makes the same observation than the chapter you just read. He realizes sometimes really bad people get ahead in a lot of different ways. They got the popularity. They got the girl. They got the financial security. Right? This is what he sees. Now, um, admittedly, the turning point in his story is still to come in Psalm 73, and we're not going to get there until we get there, which is two weeks from now. Which means I, this, I kind of leave you hanging here. This is kind of... That's great, Dan. What you're saying is the Bible acknowledges that there's inequity and injustice in the world. Yes. Now, what can we draw from it by way of, uh, by way of perspective or lesson on life for us living in the 21st century? And the, and the world's no different, right? Um, there's nothing new under the sun. The same injustices that were back in the, you know, 7th century B.C. are the same injustices we see today just with more technology and faster cars and so forth. What can we draw from this? And here I'm going to rely on some other passages of Scripture uh, to kind of um, provide for us some uh, perspective. One of the things that I think we can draw out of this, um, these are lessons for life or about life in a sin-broken world. One of those is this, is that prosperity in life is not always a sign of God's pleasure, or you could say, displeasure. 
Prosperity in life isn't necessarily a sign of God's pleasure or his favor or his acceptance of a person. Obviously, because he acknowledges, Job acknowledges, Ecclesiastes acknowledges that wicked people can and do get ahead. But that is not a sign that God favors them or is pleased with their life. But, and the reason I think that's important is because we have, I think, the secret belief, I know I'm guilty of it, that somehow, if things are going well in my life, God's happy with me. And conversely, if things aren't going well in my life, God's upset at me. Now, I, I know that that is a secret belief because I've, I've, I've seen it in people that I love dearly. That if I'm living in a time of well-being and prosperity, that somehow God is happy with me. And if I'm not living in a time of prosperity, that is, there's, there's adversity, there's difficulty, there's conflict, there's, you name it, that somehow God is, 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 is angry with me. And that's not necessarily the case, right? That's, that's not necessarily the case. In fact, I think the scripture would argue that sometimes the fact that there's the presence of adversity in your life, or maybe God takes something away, or you're not prospering like the next guy, is actually an evidence that he loves you. That, that's the, right, that's the, 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 the advice or the wisdom of Hebrews when it says, The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Now, what am I about to say? You know, but I want to ask you if you believe it. You know, that God's main... Um, objective in your life is not to cover your life or bedazzle your life with bling that doesn't last. His main objective in your life, the work of the Spirit, working through the Word and through the circumstances and adversities of life, is to form your character and to form you into the image of Christ, to teach you humility, to teach you to trust Him. Like, He's concerned about your heart. And if prosperity gets in the way of that, he will take it away, not because he doesn't like you, but because he does love you. We always have to keep that really clear in our heads. Just because things are, you're not living the dream doesn't mean God's angry with you. And listen, if things are going great, that's also not necessarily a sign that, that God's happy with you. That's not a good, good measure of life. If you want to know the measure of God's love, you got to come back to the same place. It's not how much you have. Again, everything that we can touch and handle in this life is, is bling. That's not here for very long. The measure and the standard of how much he loves you really is in the gift of his son. That's, that's the measure of his love, not how much you have or don't have. There you go. Just, again, we got to keep that in mind. That's important. Just because you have health, wealth, and prosperity does not mean God is happy with you. And the opposite as well. Two, in this world, and this world should have been italicized, this world, this sin-broken world, not to include the next. In this world, justice is possible, but not guaranteed. And by justice, I'm talking about equity, and I'm talking about fairness. Um, or, listen, if there's a $10 flashlight, and you have $10, and the flashlight's actually worth $10, then if you pay $10 and get the flashlight, that is a fair, just, or equitable transaction. That in this life, that type of equity or justice is possible to experience, 
but it's not guaranteed. And that's, again, really important for us in understanding and negotiating, navigating this world in which we live. What do I mean by this? Well, let me put it in a positive side first. Um, that God has, and i got to be careful uh, here, like theologically, but God has ordered the world in such a way um, that when you sow something, then you reap a consequence, both positive and negative. If you put a seed in the ground, that's your work, your activity, then there's something that grows and benefits you on the other side, provided it's a fruit tree and not poison oak, right? So there is this cause-effect that he's built into the created order. Now, that doesn't work when it comes to our salvation, right? You cannot earn. Um, you cannot sow to reap salvation. The only one who earned, we know this, is, is Christ himself, paid for it completely. Our salvation does not work by cause-effect other than Christ being the cause and salvation being the effect. But when it comes to the order of the world in which he placed us, most of the time, hard work pays off with an equitable return. That's why we tell our kids, and we should tell our kids, listen, study hard, work hard, keep Christ at the center of your life, do your best to maintain your integrity, to honor people, respect people, love people, and if you do these things, then we tell our children, you know, you're going to do well in life. And for the most part, that's true. Those who really do love Christ, who endeavor to walk a life of love and honor people and maintain integrity and, 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 and work with their hands as unto the Lord, by and large, those are the people who are going to get promoted. Those are going to be people who, who, who probably end up being a bit wealthier just because that's the way the world was constructed by the Lord. And by the way, that, that kind of speaks to a rather entitled generation that believes you can have it without working for it. That itself is, is an unbiblical idea. And here we have the wisdom of Proverbs. It's just to say that the, there's this idea of justice or equity that is built in to God's creation. So we have these, these, these are just two of, of many. Uh, Proverbs 14.23 says, In all toil there is profit. It's a proverb, by the way, not a promise. <laughs> Difference. Uh, but mere talk tends only to poverty. In other words, work, there's profit. Just talk, there's nothing, right? In other words, you got to work. Or uh, Proverbs 10.4, a slack hand causes poverty. In other words, you're going to be lazy, you're going to be poor. That's cause effect. Laziness, poverty. But the hand of the diligent makes rich. There you have a diligent, hardworking hand, a person who becomes wealthy. He who gathers in the summer is a prudent son, but the one who sleeps in the harvest is a son who brings shame. That's touching on the fact that God created a world in which if you invest, if you work, if you study, if you live a life um, with Christ at the center and um, by the grace of God conforming to the, to the standards of his life, then most of the time it will go well. That's the equity part. That's the invest, sow, and reap. That's the way that God built this world. That's why I say justice is possible, equity is possible, um, because it's built into the world in which we live. But it's not guaranteed. And that, that comes to light in those verses that we read in, in, in Psalm 73. There's people who aren't good. There's people whose life isn't ordered around the centrality of who God is or his law or his word. And yet they're getting ahead. 
They don't have the investment. They're treating people with a lack of compassion and with pride and arrogance and oppression, and yet they're getting ahead. It seems to be a contradiction. Well, that's because the created order, the world in which God made for us, has been broken. It doesn't always work that way. So the, so the man who works hard, studies hard, and seeks to orient his life around God and his promises and his word, sometimes it's not going to work out well for you. It's not going to work out well for you because one reason is we live in a sin-broken world. And that works in reverse, too, in the opposite, in terms of punitive justice. Sometimes we're going to see punitive justice happen to an evil person. We're going to see them go down in flames. We're going to see what goes around comes around. But sometimes a person's going to die who's been an evil person of natural causes without pain and in a place of wealth, and it's going to seem like there was no justice. In this world in which we live, the sin-broken world, and this is part of setting your mindset right. Listen, you, God wants you to work hard, right? He want, but he wants you to work as unto him, not the material profit, ultimately. But understand, the return may or may not come. Justice and equity are possible, but not guaranteed. And when we think they're guaranteed because we work hard, we're going to find ourselves disappointed and at the end of the day, jaded. Right? And third, and this is the, the last one. Again, lesson on life. Oh, you know, I, I, I was blessed this couple weeks ago by, by reading this Psalm of David. Like, so how, like, in answer to the question, okay, so sometimes there's equity and sometimes there's not. Sometimes things, you know, there's outcomes that are profitable and other times there aren't. How do you, how do you live that way? And I just love King David's humility. He says, oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. In other words, he's not trying to grasp everything. He says, I do not occupy my mind with things too great for me and too marvelous for me. And then he says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul. And he just recognized that at the end of the day, I can't put all this together, but I can trust in the Lord and rest there. You're not going to figure out God, and you're going to figure out this life, especially since it's been sin-damaged and sin-broken. But the third lesson here, moving on, is this, is that short-term inequity, keeping this in your head, may lead to long-term redemption. Short-term inequity may lead to long-term redemption. Listen, when you feel like you got the short end of the stick, and, and I'm, I'm speaking to you, personally to those I, I maybe you feel that way maybe you feel like that in your business you feel like that in your marriage you feel like that in your family or you just feel like that in your health you just feel like I, you got the short end of the stick when people around you got the big end of the stick you know uh, if, if that's you and i think at different times it's all of us who feel this way ultimately we have to come back to um the central I don't even want to call it a principle, but a person, a principle of life, and that is Christ himself. And align ourselves to him. And what I mean by that is this. Like, if anybody, if, well, restate, there's only one person ever born in human history, only one, who deserves everything. And it's not us. What we deserve, if we really want to get to, down to brass tacks or, 
for ultimate just, uh, justice, you, you know the only thing that we wage is the scorching fires of God's judgment. That's it. That's, that's it. That's, that, you want real justice? That's where it all goes. But recognize the only person born in human history who deserved it all, intelligent, flawlessly moral, selfless, perfectly loving, unwavering in his commitment to Father, he was given nothing. He said, I have nowhere to lay my head. The one who deserves the entire universe by right of his own righteousness has nothing. If anybody could complain and grow jaded because he got the short end of the stick, there's one person who got the shortest end of the stick. Now, that's the Lord. But he took the, 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 the short end of the stick willingly because he knew that in this life where he would be deprived of comfort, deprived of wealth, and replaced with suffering, betrayal, humiliation, and ultimately death by crucifixion, ultimately this lack of equity, this, this life of injustice, that is, he was the victim of injustice, ultimately worked out redemption for you and me. That there's, there's, there's a bigger story than just the 33 years of Jesus' life. The 33 years of Jesus' life and the last three in particular where he was deprived of what he deserved. Uh, that was willingly undertaken with a thankful, grateful heart, knowing that the end of the story was resurrection. At the end of the day, God would subject all things under his feet. And the, the truth of the matter is, you, you, if, 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 the, if this little 72, however long God has for you, whatever the number of your days is, is... If that's all there is and that's all you're living for, then you're going to, at the end of the day, you're going to be jaded. You're going to be cynical. But if the end of the story is what lies beyond resurrection, and to recognize that your father, listen, your father in heaven wants to give you, he will give you the world. He has promised it to you. He's promised you himself. He's promised you a flawless and conflict-free family, and he's promised you a new creation. That's all yours. He, 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 he has designed and he has ordained you get the world it's just not yet you have to live in the hope that you know what this is this is not it this little five minutes of bling that, that we have here it's just, it's just the beginning of the story and all of it falls apart anyway I have to come back to the simple fact that that that, that christ is 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 what aligns our life and you know what? God works the same way in your life. Like, if, if you feel like you've got the short end of the stick, perhaps you need to back up and say, you know what? There's a bigger story at work here. And maybe the Lord's taken things away, or maybe he hasn't let me achieve what I really dreamed about achieving because he has bigger plans in store than just the promotion. And to wrap it back, I called my dad yesterday. I said, so, Dad, how do you feel about it now? You know, the fact that he kind of got jacked, you know? And uh, he said, you know, Danny, I said, um, I, I look back and I realize that that was the hand of the Lord because, and I hope there's, well, there's probably a couple principles out here, and I don't mean this as a negative, but he said, you know, all, all of the principles, and that's almost a direct quote, all of the principles that I knew that I competed against are all dead because of the anxiety and because of the alcoholism. Again, your principle, we'll just hope that God excludes you from that. 
And he said, you know, and I also realized that my most fruitful place wasn't behind a desk. It was with kids. And to this day, he has students, former students coming up and saying, you know what, of the one teacher that I remember that loved me, it was you. It's like, you know, that's redemption working its way out in what seems like, from our perspective, an inequity. I just encourage you, brother, sister, family, God's working this out. And to, 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 to not focus so much on the outcomes in this life, but to recognize, just walk faithfully and trust him as you go through this life. And yeah, things are going to get messed up, but that's okay. Um, just keep your eyes on the Lord, and he's going to work out his stuff, right? He's going to work out redemption. That's, that's what we're really about. So as we come to the table this morning, you notice this is communion Sunday. It's just, if, if there's a complaint in your heart or a discontentment in your heart because you feel like you've been given the short end of the stick, then this is a time to come and recognize that, hey, he, he, Jesus willingly took the shortest for us, and he willingly gave up all things to bring us home. And, and may the cross and, and may the, the truth of who Christ is and what he offered to us and who he has declared us to be, may that maybe this morning begin the process of healing you from, from, uh, from a jaded heart, all right? If you're new with us, um, I'm going to pray, and after that, the musicians are going to play, and feel free if you're a follower of Christ, even if you don't attend our church, if you believe that Christ is the only way, if you're a disciple of his, feel free to come forward, three lines, uh, there is gluten-free if you ask for it, and um, again, this is a time to, as a family of Christ, to, to come back to the center, back to Christ, back to um, the fact that he gave up everything for us. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I, I pray in these uh, next few minutes that we have as we hold bread in our hands and, and hold uh, the juice in our hands, reminders of, of the body, your body which was offered for us and the blood which was poured out for us by one who deserved everything. I, I pray that you minister to us. May your spirit move through these things and feed our souls uh, and, uh, and heal us in Christ's name. Amen.